Hello, listeners. Jess here. Have you heard our newest show, Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches? Winnie Taylor is just a teenager when her mother dies, sending her to Cleveland to reunite with her dad, a former football player. It's an inspirational story about sports, family, and learning to overcome the barriers that hold us back. Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches has something for everyone. Action-packed football games, a story about friendship, and a father-daughter story that will warm everyone's heart. I know you're going to love it. Follow Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free with a GZM family subscription. Head to gzmshows.com for more. Hi, and welcome to the Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian. I'm Jonathan Messenger, and with me, as always, is my boon companion, Bebop Robomogo Wanatron. Say hi to everybody, Bebop. Hi, everybody. It's good to see you. And good to see you, too, Jonathan. What's what's that in your hands, Bebop? This, this is the speaking stone, Jonathan. A speaking stone? I've never heard of that before. Well... Whoever has the speaking stone is allowed to speak and speak uninterrupted. Okay, that's never really been a problem for you. Think of it as a safe space to speak our truth. Okay, what's your truth, Bebop? Jonathan, this is an intervention. You, my friend, have a problem. I do? Well, I mean, of course I do. I have lots of problems, but... What problem are you talking about? For the last two seasons, you have started the story in the exact same way, asking listeners to imagine a telescope and then looking through it. Right. Sure. I remember. Well, I think you have a problem, Jonathan. I think that you are relying on that as a crutch, and I think you should drop that crutch and break free. Well... It's a storytelling technique, Bebop. It's called a callback. You reference things that happened earlier, and the audience finds it familiar. They can settle back into the story, and... Jonathan, I have the speaking stone. Okay, you're right. I'm sorry. Now, I just think it's time for a new way to start a season. But it helps the audience connect things that happened earlier, kind of sets a mood. Jonathan... What's in my hand? The speaking stone. And what does it allow me to do? Speak your truth. Okay, and my truth is come up with something different already. Okay, fine. I'll try something different. Now, can I please have that stone? I have some truths that I would like to tell. Hey, wait a second. I recognize that stone. Did you pull that out of the garden in front? That is not my truth, Jonathan. Okay, well, why don't I hold on to this, and why don't we get started with this episode? If you remember what happened when we left off, Abigail had just turned eight years old and was pulling a book off the shelf to give to her robot when the story ended. So what will happen now as we begin episode one of season three of the Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian birthday surprise
Imagine you had the most powerful telescope in the universe, and you aimed its lens straight past everything orbiting your sun. The planets, the asteroids, the comets, and all that dust and gas clogging up your Milky Way. Straight out past the dwarf planets like Pluto. Hello again. Straight out of your galaxy and through to light years beyond. And you saw the famous Marlowe 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station way out there in a new galaxy, far away from King Huxley's planet and any Space Olympic Games. And there you saw a dark planet. That's really the only way to describe it. There aren't any colors the way some of the beautiful reds and oranges and blues that you've seen looking through your telescope have excited your imagination and made such vivid pictures in your head. This time, there's a planet that is just dark. Deep blacks and browns and purples. In fact, it's so difficult to see that the only way to truly know it was there is by the absence of stars around it. A circle of empty space out in space. And if you train that lens to look a little closer as it came in, you would see the planet is in fact a planet and not a black hole, but one with blackened rocks and sharp mountains that stretch like a witch's fingers up off the surface of the planet. And look, if you click the telescope over just a few degrees, you can see it, right? A light? There's a light on this planet. After all, not everything is as dark as you first thought. And if you open the aperture of your telescope just a bit to let a little of that light in, it's like someone opened a curtain on a window. And you can see now clearly that there are people down there on that planet. Yes, people. I'm sure you expected me to describe some sort of crazy alien with seven feet or flutes for arms, but these are people. People dressed in the spacesuits of the famous Marlowe 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station officers. Yes, that's right. There are no kids on this planet. All of the people you spy through your telescope are adults. And if you train that telescope to go in a little closer, push it as far as it can go, you can get in and see there are Elias's parents, the robot engineers, and Abigail's parents, the biologists, and Vale's parents, the tacticians, and Finn's parents, Captain Isabel Caspian and Director of Communications Leon Caspian. They're all there. All of the adults of the Marlowe. And there, do you see it now? In the shadow in front of them, they're standing in a circle in front of a cavern, a big open-mouthed cave in the side of a mountain. And the light you can see is now coming from within that circle. And the adults are standing around that light, gazing into it. And it's glowing slightly brighter now. And now you can see their faces 
clear as day and even brighter. And you have to squint, but the adults don't seem to be squinting. And even brighter now that the light is reflecting off the glass of their space helmets. And you can't see their faces at all. And now it's so bright, the black planet is glowing white and it's starting to hurt your eyes. And if your telescope were equipped with some sort of high-tech radar, you would hear Captain Caspian yelling out one word to the other cosmonauts. And that word would be... Nothing. You would hear nothing. Look again. The planet is black. The shadows have returned. The light is gone. The people are gone. But before we get to what happened on that planet, let's return to the famous Marlow 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station in the days that led up to that moment. Vale slipped out of his compartment without waking his parents and tiptoed into the hallway and began making his way to Elias' compartment. His friend was waiting outside the door for him, and Elias put his finger to his lips to keep Vale from saying anything as they glided down the hall to Abigail's room. Vale was about to push the button when the door opened and Abigail stepped out. The three of them just nodded and continued on their way. It was three o'clock in the morning. The space station was asleep, the cosmonauts enjoying some quiet time as the ship propelled itself light years away from King Huxley's planet to a new solar system where they had heard there was an exoplanet that was almost exactly like Earth. They all rested deeply, hoping that their mission may finally be fulfilled. The three friends, without speaking, arrived at Finn's door. Vale reached out to open it, but Abigail grabbed his wrist. No, he told us to meet him here. He'll be here, just give him a second, she said. Vale frowned, but they waited outside, looking down at their shoes, fighting the urge to speak, and generally trying to not alert anyone that they were up and out of bed. Abigail held up a finger. One more minute. Let's give him one more minute. Finally, the door opened, and out stepped Paige. What? She said. Is he still in there? Sleeping? Abigail nodded. Come on, said Paige. And the four of them entered the Caspian compartment, the door shutting behind them. Okay, let's just get him up quietly and get going, said Abigail. Okay, said Paige. She walked to Finn's door and said, Finn, Finn, wake up! Finn, uh, come on! Wake up, Finn! Are you in there? Come on, wake up! Shh, Paige, said Elias. You're going to wake up your parents. Oh, my parents are awake, she said. I heard them go to the bridge about 20 minutes ago. Finn's door stayed closed, but the hallway door opened, and there stood Finn, looking confused. Did one of you release an elephant into my compartment? He said. No, said Vale. Just Paige. Finn glared at his little sister. Come on, I got a head start. We gotta make this quick. Well, this was your idea, said Abigail. I'd just as soon be in bed. Who can sleep, said Finn. Trust me, when you see this, you'll be glad I got you up. The five friends quietly and quickly walked down to the Explorer Pod Bay. They passed all the Explorer Pods, even their own, and came to the empty bay, where the pod that Bunce had stolen on the Red Planet should have been. 
Finn looked out the pod door window and gave a thumbs up. I still don't see why we had to get up so early, said Paige. But Finn held up his hand. Observe, he said. The explorers all looked out the window, and at first they saw nothing. They saw stars, of course, and the bits of debris you always see floating around in space, but otherwise, nothing. And then, suddenly, like a rocket, Foggy came bolting up from below. He shot past the window, up, and then looped back down. Whoa, said Vale. Fancy flying, said Elias. Just wait, said Finn. Then came Robocloco, darting past the window from the side, his boosters firing brightly against the dark of space. He and Foggy looped around each other, and Foggy grabbed Robocloco's tail and spun him around, pretending to throw him off into the distance like a hammer toss. Cloco zooming away. What is this? said Abigail. <laughs> Did you do this, Finn? Well, after the Space Olympics, Foggy and I did some research about the Earth Olympics, and one of the events there is called figure skating. The athletes jump and spin and do all kinds of crazy stuff. So Foggy and I came up with this routine, you know, for your birthday. The kids all laughed as Foggy and Cloco spun and shot around in space. And then, suddenly, from above, like a falcon diving at prey, came a different robot. This one, sparkling and shiny, a blaze of light behind it as it shot past Foggy and Cloco. You got Meg to do it too, said Elias. It was sort of her idea too, said Finn. Abigail was all smiles as her brand new robot, Megbot, flew circles around Foggy and Robo Cloco, sparks flying brilliantly in dozens of different colors. Foggy and Cloco were doing some kind of dance where they pointed their fingers in the air, but they got distracted by Meg's fireworks and they got out of sync, so it looked like they were just sort of poking each other. We didn't have much time to practice, said Finn. She is awesome said Abigail. She is, said Finn. They all are. And as the robots continued their routine, a light started to sparkle in the distance. It got brighter and brighter and began moving closer and closer. The robots looked over their shoulders but continued their routine. And as the light got closer, they started to look more and more nervous and started to slow down, eventually stopping and yelling something into the distance. But the light was coming hard and fast. Elias was the first to recognize what it was. Oh no, he said. This is bad. And soon, they all saw what the light was. It was Voltronics Zoo, flying as fast as he could directly at the Marlow. Foggy's voice came over the communication watch on Finn's wrist. I told him this was a bad idea. Tell him to stop, Foggy, said Finn. Abort! Abort! But there was Voltronics, like a speeding train, big smile on his face. And as he got closer to the Marlow, his wings opened up and he began to pull away. Oh no, said Elias. He thinks his wings are going to help pull him up. But there's no air out there. It's never going to work. And as Voltronics tried to make his dramatic turn up and away from the Marlow, he just went straight at the space station. 
the smile on his face disappearing and being replaced by something close to robot panic. And he shut off his boosters, but it was... Everyone stopped what they were doing. Um, happy birthday, Abigail, said Finn. I hope you liked your present. It was great, said Abigail. Um, Meg, could you please help Foggy collect Voltronix's parts and bring him back in? Elias can try to fix him. Ooh, happy birthday to me, said Elias, excited to get to work on Voltronix. Just what are you five doing here? The explorers turned around, and there was Captain Caspian, Finn's mother, staring down at them. I was just giving Abigail a belated birthday gift, said Finn. It was my idea. They didn't know what was going on, so if there's punishment, let the punishment be mine. (sighs) Whatever that sound was, it was enough to wake up the whole galaxy, said Captain Caspian. And I suppose we have you to thank for the other surprise today? Other surprise, said Finn. I don't know what you mean. Captain Caspian eyed her son carefully and then relaxed. Well, since you're already awake, you might as well come see. Maybe you'll recognize it from your travels. The five explorers followed Finn's mother up the hallway. Finn held his wrist up to his mouth and whispered, Foggy, you and Meg get Voltronics to the supply closet so Elias can work on him there. Have Cloco guard him and meet us on the bridge. Without looking back at the troop, Captain Caspian said to her son, You can tell your robot we're going to the library and tell him I give his routine a score of 7.4. He gets points off for the giant robot crash. The friends all collected in the library. The starlight gave the room, as always, a mystical, mysterious air as they circled down the spiraling shelves to the bottom, where the librarian awaited them. But that wasn't all that was waiting for them. Even before they reached the floor level, they could see something strange in the room. And as they got closer, it didn't become any more recognizable. There... In the middle of the room, dead center among the couches and reading chairs of the library, floating about three feet off the ground, chest level with Finn, was a thing. A dark green thing. It was round and smooth, not exactly ball-shaped, but not egg-shaped either. It looked like a stone that had been washed over by ocean water for centuries. It was flat, but also thick, shiny, and smooth, though no one had yet dared to touch it. Foggy and Meg entered the room, and both stayed quiet as they all stared at the object. What is it, Mom? said Finn. We don't know, said Captain Caspian. Honestly, we were wondering if you brought it back with you from your last adventure. The only thing we brought back was the dog bot, said Vale. That and a burning desire to never hear a trumpet again. How is it floating like that? said Elias. Is there a power source? Have you detected any electromagnetism? Great questions, Elias, but nothing so far, said Captain Caspian. How did you know it was here? I found it, said the librarian. 
I came in this morning and there it was, floating quite rudely in the middle of my library. Did you guys see it when you came in here to get Abigail's book? Paige asked. No, said Finn. I think we would have said something about a giant floating stone in the library. So it must have been here after Abigail got Meg, said Vale. So what's your point, said Abigail. Well, I think what Vale is saying, Abigail, is that maybe there's something in the book, in your book, that helped create this object, said Captain Caspian. No way, it's not Meg's fault, said Abigail, grabbing her robot's hand. No one is saying it's her fault, said Finn. It doesn't even make sense. She was built right here on the Marlow. Where would she get it? Said Abigail. We know, said Elias. We're just trying to figure out if there's a connection. That's ridiculous. How could there be... Abigail stopped. Meg had let go of her hand. She stepped forward and put a hand on the stone. Well, said Finn's mom. It looks like Meg has something she wants to say. Okay, I am here with my son and editor, Griffin Messenger. Say hi to everybody, Griff. Hi, hi. Hello. All right, so hit me with it. The first episode of season three, what questions do you have? I wonder what that thing is. Oh, the thing in the library? Yeah. Do you have any guesses? Maybe it's uh. One of the crayons from, from the day the crayons quit with dueling. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You caught me reading that book, right? Yep. So maybe that is it. That is it. You know what? I didn't ask you. Did you like the episode? Yep. All right. On a scale of good to amazing, what was it? Pretty good. No, no, no. <laughs> I said the scale starts at good. Pretty good. All right. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Any other questions you have? Uh, Are you curious about the new robot? Yeah. I wonder which book she came from. Do you have a suspicion of what book it might be from? Yes. Okay, I'm not going to ask you what book, because I don't want any spoilers. I will say this. You and you <laughs> and Bebop kind of gave it away in the spoiler club, but I'm not going to say any more, okay? And I'm going to cut your mic if you say it. Okay. <laughs> what did you think about the telescope beginning? <laughs> you did not listen to Bebop. Did you think I should have listened to Bebop? Nope. Because <laughs> right. I didn't even have a speaking stone. Because it was just a stone that he ripped up from the garden. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, I think that's it. We're going to talk a little bit more about what book is really motivating this season next week. We're not going to mention it this week. Um, what time do you think it is now? Our time. Our time. All Our right. Time Thank you so much to all the chefs who made so much food for Bebop while we were on vacation. Yay. Yay. All right, so let's do our art. Thank you to Markwam, who's four, from Milton, Massachusetts, eight-year-old Alexander, and four-year-old Evan from Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, seven-year-old Lily, seven-year-old Quinn, who made the pink planet of bazooka for us, Malcolm from Silver Spring, Maryland, six-year-old Isaac from Socrates, New York, five-year-old Mariella, Macy from Bellevue, Washington. Easton, who's nine, from Simi Valley, California. Sandy, who's four. And Leo, who's two, from Buffalo, New York, who made us a three-headed non-bellied alien. I like the idea of a non-bellied alien. Salix, who's six. And Coco, who's five, from the Yukon. 
Neil, who's eight, and Miles, who's six, from Dubuque, Iowa. Lucy, who's nine, from Silver Spring, Maryland. Isaiah, who's five, from Adelaide, Australia. Duncan, who's six, from Florida. Chase, who's ten, from Westville, Indiana. Sage, who's seven, and Ridley, who's four, from Omaha, Nebraska. Jackson, who's five, from Vermont. Katie, who's eight, from Texas. Colin, who's eight. Hannah, who's five, and Riley, who's five. Philip, who's eleven, and Olivia, who's six. Keppel, who's seven from Kansas, Weber, who's seven from Newport Beach, California, and Ben, who's seven from Ellicott City, Maryland, formerly of Chicago. So, Ben, if you're ever back in Chicago, let us know. Okay, and now it is jokes time. (laughs) I want to say a special apology to Frida, who's 10, from New Zealand, who submitted a joke a while ago. I thought I had used it, and she said she is quite sure... That I didn't, and so I believe Frida, and I'm sorry, Frida. So here she has three jokes for us. The first one, what do aliens wear? Saturn, like satin. (laughs) (laughs) And on our moon, what board game do the aliens like to play best? Moonopoly. (laughs) And what is the space version of knots and crosses? Astronauts and crosses. All right, thank you so much, Frida. And now we have the Stotman brothers who are all going to tell you about themselves and tell you their jokes. Hi, my name is Beckett. I'm seven years old. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and here's my joke. Why did Mickey Mouse become an astronaut? Because he was searching for Pluto. (laughs) Hi, my name is Bauer, and, and I'm five, and I live in Tennessee, and I'll tell you my joke. My joke is, what is Mars' favorite milk? The Milky Way. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brady. I'm from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, and I am nine years old. And I have a riddle for you. Um, 20 people jumped into the pool. 24 heads came up. How? Do you get it? 24 heads? <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, that took me a second to get it. All right. Well, I think that's it, Griff. Anything else you want to talk about today? No. All right. Besides, Sound Club is still on. So if you want to send in sound, that would be great. That's right. Sound Club is still happening. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming back with me, Griff, for another season. Yeah. We're so excited to be back. Say bye, Griff. Bye, bang, bang. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Okay, thanks for coming back and having some more fun with us this season. I'm so grateful that you're here and that you've shared all of your incredible art and ideas and jokes and sounds with us while we were on vacation. So much fun. And thanks again to all the artists who sent in their food and the comedians who sent in their jokes. The Alien Adventures of Fincaspin is a Gen Z Kids production, written and produced by Jonathan Messenger, edited and guided by Griffin Messenger, with special thanks to Maria Villanueva. The theme music you hear at the beginning and end of every show is by Mark Greenberg, recently voted the nicest human in the cosmos. The cover art is by Sir Ian Dingman. And everything that you want to know about the show, from the art, the music, everything is in the show notes. And if I could just ask you one favor... If you have a chance, if you like this show, you've made it this far, so I hope you do, (laughs) please tell a friend. That's the best way to get the word out. Just tell a friend that there's a show with this guy and his kid, and we like it. And uh, maybe they'll check it out, too. 
Thanks again, and we will see you next week. Imagine no more telescopes. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy. I'm Autumn. And I'm Jasper. And we're, we're a GZM, GZM family. family. And we want you to listen to our favorite show, Becoming Mother Nature. I love the one with the Green Reaper and the zombies. Yeah! Three years ago, Brinley Pasternak helped the Anders family uncover the truth about Holiday's past. Now, she'll need them to help her find the truth about hers. Six Minutes Out of Time is the long-awaited sequel to the most downloaded family audio adventure in history. When Cyrus is found unconscious near the mysterious Elixir Academy in Florida, Brinley learns the school may have a shocking connection to her missing mother. All new episodes are available one week early and ad-free for GZM subscribers. Visit gzmshows.com to learn more.